Houston Dynamo, Portland Timbers, Sporting Kansas, Los Angeles Galaxy, HMAS, Toronto FC, Salt Lake, Chicago Fire, Pitch Pass, your all-access credential to the people that matter in MLS. Here's your host, Greg Roach. Welcome to Pitch Pass. Thank you so much for hanging and listening and downloading and hopefully, fingers crossed, spreading the word. Got some really good comments on our iTunes page about the show, and I thank everybody who has done that. Even if you've just rated the show, that helps and we appreciate it as well. Um, Also, Sebastian Salazar posted a really informative blog on PitchPass.com. The 10 players that are currently not in Europe or in a high-level European league or uh, playing in MLS that were in Gold Cup that probably could fit in MLS. He does a really good job of uh, laying out some people that you may be seeing on MLS rosters sometime even during this transfer window. So check it out at PitchPass.com. A lot of stuff there, not just the podcast, but I'm a host of the podcast, so that's what we're going to talk about. Make sure you're following us at PitchPass, and make sure you're following our guests today. We were actually trying to track down a U.S. national team member, but they uh, are on the road. They're traveling, and we got to move forward. We can't hold back. So we're going to spend some extra time talking about life north of the border with the Toronto Sun's Kurt Larson. You can follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow, at Kurt, K-U-R-T, Larson, L-A-R-S-U-N. Canadian national soccer team, TFC. Lot to talk about with Kurt. He joins us now on Pitch Pass. I guess Kurt, we were supposed to have you on last week, and we didn't. You fell ill. So how are you? Uh, it, it's better. It was one of those twenty-four hour bugs, maybe food poisoning. I'm not sure. My girlfriend bought me dinner, and then I wake up sick. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I had a conversation with her. I actually, <laughs> I actually thought, you know, maybe Kurt is just sick because of the two teams that he has to cover: the Canadian national team and TFC. It just it makes him ill physically. No, I wouldn't. Come on, I wouldn't give it up for the world. I would as much as much as it gets, it gets tiresome uh, writing the same story year after year. Uh, you know, I wouldn't give it up for the world. Well, let's talk about the national team first before we focus on your 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 hardcore beat, which is Toronto FC. Um, I saw you and a couple of other Canadian writers speculating uh, whether that Martinique loss in the first game of Gold Cup was worse than the Honduras loss. Now that you've had a week to digest that, where does it where does it rank in the worst losses in Canadian soccer history? Well, I mean, I, I mean, if you try to compare them, but I mean, of course, the magnitude of the World Cup qualifying yeah. loss and and, and that. Uh, scenario where even just a draw would have put Canada into the hexagonal for the first time since uh, 1998. Um, but in terms of you know shock value, um, I didn't really expect Canada to beat Honduras or to, to get a tie for that matter. So I did expect them to beat Martinique, uh, and um, and really you know Martinique deserved to win that game. Canada was woeful, and it's uh, you know maybe even more concerning that loss was than the loss in Honduras simply because. Um, you know, the World Cup qualifying squad, they showed glimpses here and there. It was actually wasn't that bad of a squad. That game was a one-off. But, you know, the Martinique game, when you see the youth um, and, and, you know, the guys coming up who really right now don't look like they're close to ready, it's it's pretty concerning. Yeah, and if I'm a Canadian, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say scared, but I'm definitely nervous because I'm thinking to myself, okay, where where is our generation of two or three guys who are ready to take the mantle and run with it? I, I thought... Four years ago, when you had the De Guzman, uh, De Rosario, you had uh, uh, you had the other De Guzman thinking about what he was going to do, and I thought, okay, you know what, they're building a midfield, but even that has kind of fallen apart. 
Yes and no. I mean, we also have to take into perspective here that they were without Tiva, Tiva Hutchison at the Gold Cup, who, yes. who for me, for me, for me, behind you know maybe Michael Bradley is probably the best central midfielder in in all of Concacaf. Um, you know, Will Johnson was ill. Um, Julian de Guzman was he's in between clubs, so he wasn't in form and he was out of you know uh, wasn't in, in in shape for this tournament. So the midfield is actually not as bad as it looks. I, I don't think. And then you got Josh Simpson, who's uh, still not coming back from an injury, or he's still not back from an injury. So the midfield is not all that bad. And then you look at the back, and you're missing Djokovic, you're missing you're missing Hano. So it was you know the concerning part was that the youth didn't show well. Um, so you know, four or eight years from now, what are we going to look like? But um, you know, the squad moving forward isn't as bad on paper, at least, as, as that showing at the Gold Cup was. And then, of course, you also lost Tybert um, to to illness as well during the Gold Cup. Yeah, and I mean that was kind of a disappointing loss, since you know we're, we're looking for that guy to kind of take hold of that that vacant uh, left side of midfield um, where Josh Simpson used to patrol. Um, and we didn't really get to see enough of them. I mean, he showed glimpses in the Martinique game a few times, but um, disappointing to see him go home ill. And, and then, of course, Will Johnson goes home ill. They, they lose Randy at Winnie Bonzu and uh, uh, Simeon Jackson to contract talk. So it, it really it was an all-around disaster. I mean, it, it wasn't a good showing by the young guys. Um, some of the vets had to take the uh, the tournament off. And now um, it'll be interesting to see what lineup they put out, whatever they schedule another friendly. Yeah, and I, I don't know how many people you've talked to within the, the Federation, but is there any regret now that they did decide, you know, we're going to make this a transition tournament for, for the country? I don't think so. I don't think they'd ever admit that. I mean, I, I, I think they should have brought along a guy like Patrice Bernier, uh, maybe even a guy like Dwayne DeRosario. Um, but, you know, like they said, they were, they were trying to get a look at these guys. Uh, Tony Fonseca, the technical director, um, of, of of Canada right now is trying to implement a system where he can get um, all of the young players capped at least 50 times at the youth level and senior level before the next World Cup qualifying. Um, well, not not before the next one, but but by 2018, he wants he wants all the young players at 50 caps at some level, so U17, uh, U20, uh, Olympic qualifying. Um, so that's the goal, and this was part of that uh, step in that process. So you mentioned Tony Fonseca. What's the confidence level uh, to uh, for Canadians in the system that he wants to implement and, and how he wants to go about doing things moving forward? I mean, I think it's wait and see. I mean, it's always one of those things where do you have the players to play a certain way? I mean, can you force a certain style of play um, on a group that maybe isn't capable of playing that style? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Benito Floro and, and Tony Fonseca go about trying to create some kind of new Canadian brand that isn't just, you know, let's sit in in a four or five one and then maybe get a goal on the counter. Um, I'm not sold that they can do it. I think they all, they should play to their strengths. I think they should recognize Canada for what it is at the moment and probably will be four years from now. Um, but you know, right now it's wait and see. And a lot of Canadian fans are, are willing to give Benito Floro time because they know what he is, um, facing the, the the magnitude of this challenge. I think Canadian fans and Canadians in general uh, don't have blinders on when it comes to the Soccer Federation, but does the Federation itself have an awareness of the, the magnitude or the, 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 the steepness of the mountain that they have to climb and, and what they have to do? This is a country that, that, in all honesty, should be performing a lot better than they are on the international stage. Yeah, they should be. I think they're, they're very self-aware. I mean, Colin Miller... Um, did say that, you know, if you think we are 
you know, heads and shoulders above Martinique at this point, then you need to give your head a shake. I mean, that's, that's coming straight from the interim head coach there. So I, that's pretty self-aware. So <laughs> I think they, I think they know the challenge that's ahead of them. And, and like I said, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Benito Floro, uh, the new Spanish head coach, um, goes about trying to at least get this team back to respectability after that World Cup qualifying loss. And then now this and their next, um, um, uh, you know, competition back from that loss. So as we start to transition back to, to club, uh, can you just go over with me briefly? It seemed like a confusing situation as an outsider, the whole Patrice Bernier situation, um, and then the releasing of players and, and who played and, and just what was going on with that and why was it a controversy? Um, the releasing of uh, who? I, I just I, I saw tweets from you and a couple other people about um, about TFC getting upset that somebody had to go oh. and somebody else didn't have to go at the time they had to go. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I understand. Uh, yeah, Ryan Nelson um, was upset with the CSA and well, TFC's front office for that matter, um, because the Canadian Soccer Association did select four um, four of TFC's players: Jonathan Osorio. Ashton Morgan, Donnell Henry, um, and uh, Kyle Becker. Uh, and, and he thought that because the CSA was um, electing to take so many of Toronto's players that maybe um, the CSA would be willing to do CSA a favor, which was release at least two of those guys for a midweek game uh, against Montreal um, on that Wednesday because the players left uh, right after the weekend. Um, and then he kind of went into, you know, Canada says they're trying to win this game, yet they don't take Patrice Bernier, who's one of the best midfielders in MLS at the moment. I mean, yeah. He's made an all-star team. And so that's where the kind of the controversy kicked up. And then the CSA's response was simply, well, we can't do you guys favors. We can't do Toronto favors. And then, you know, tell the Portland Timbers, well, they can't have Will Johnson for an extra game or they can't have, or, you know, tell, yeah. um, you know, uh, that was a situation. And then, but, you know, Nelson kind of had a point in that, well, you know, who does the CSA want to see succeed? Canadian clubs, or they do they want to, you know, see American clubs succeed? And that was kind of an interesting point he made there, and that's kind of where the, the conversation left off. The CSA didn't really have a response. Yeah, which brings, you know, it's not a, a, a big issue, but it is something that bubbles underneath the surface, and that is the MLS being an international league with Canada and the U.S. rather than just a, a strictly national league. Um, why wasn't Patrice Bernier called in? Uh, they, they said it was uh, just a matter of getting young guys like Samuel Piet and, and um, Kevin Allman, guys like that, into the squad. And then they, you know, they said realistically, um, Patrice Bernier is not going to be a part of this squad come um, 2015, 2016, whenever Canada kicks up uh, 2018 qualifying. And um, you know, to a certain extent, you have to you have to tip your hat to Canada for taking a chance and saying that we're going to move on. Um, but then at the same time, you also have to look at it and say, well, you know, is there value in bringing a guy like Patrice Bernier? And is there a va- is there value in bringing a veteran like Dwayne Derosario in to help um, bring the uh, the young guys along? I, I think there's an argument for both ways. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, being in D.C., I just read an article uh, from Stephen Goff about Dwayne Rosario, And actually, when the announcements, the rosters were announced and he wasn't called in, he was specifically asked if he was disappointed. His response was yes, but I was also told that they wanted to look at young guys. I'm not done yet, and they told me that they uh, there still is a place for me uh, after Gold Cup in the Canadian national team. If there's a place for Dero uh, post Gold Cup, why wouldn't there be a place for Patrice Bernier, who is younger than he is? Well, it's a good question, especially when you see who they brought in, and then you know they end the tournament down guys because the you know Simeon Jackson goes home and Edwin yeah. Edwin Ibanzu goes home. Uh, Will Johnson goes home with some kind of flu. So, 
Um, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, if you ask people in Montreal, they might mention some kind of anti-Quebec bias. I mean, trust me, I've heard that. It's all over the place <laughs> up here. Uh, I don't, I don't buy it. Um, you know, but I think a courtesy call to Patrice would have been, uh, would have been the right move. And, and as far as I know, the CSA actually didn't even reach out to Patrice um, to tell him that uh, they were looking past him for any one reason. Moving forward, uh, now new coach in place after this tournament, which for Canada is now. Um, what are you hearing as far as when we're going to start hearing some rumblings about friendlies being scheduled and maybe a, a rough idea of what he has planned for the, for the national team? Well, it's hard to say because during the Gold Cup, they did basically shield him away from everybody. I'm yeah. not even sure he had any contact with the team. Um, media that were happened that did happen to travel um, weren't given access to him in a, on a one-on-one basis uh, or even on a scrum basis. So it's hard to say. I do see them. Um, I, I believe there is a date in August for uh, FIFA friendlies. Um, I do see them taking that off. I, I just I just think after this kind of a, a Gold Cup and with a new coach and. Um, there are more important things at the moment than maybe playing, um, you know, uh, midsummer friendly against Guatemala or something. So uh, I don't see anything in the immediate future, um, but uh, I'm sure there'll be some later this year. It's frustrating, Kurt, because a Canada-U.S. rivalry for soccer would be really, really cool. Um, I don't know if it would be at the the level of angst as as Mexico USA, but it would be another. They would quickly if they had a, if they had a respectable team would be the second biggest rival uh, for the U.S. So the fact that the that that Canada is kind of shuffling their feet and kind of tripping up every once in a while uh, is frustrating to Americans as well. I think. Yeah, and I think the funny part is that um, Canadians actually look at the U.S. as their Mexico, um, and, and as you said, the Americans, of course, still. Uh, look at Mexico as their, you know, uh, most hated rival. Um, but, you know, the game they did play up here, uh, there was good support from Canada. Uh, they put on a, a, a decent show. Yeah. And I think it's one of the situations where, you know, maybe Canada's down, but um, whenever they're playing the Yanks, uh, I, I think they'll rise to the occasion and make a game of it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I guess maybe it manifests itself, or that frustration manifests itself, is that those matches don't happen as often as USA-Mexico because Canada isn't in these tournaments long enough to, to play against the U.S. when it really matters outside of friendlies. Yeah, it's kind of strange in the way that the U.S. women and Canadian women play all the time, frequently <laughs> and play quite frankly. And you know, I'd say both teams um, benefit a lot uh, from those matches, uh, yeah. at least on a friendly basis. So um, we don't know. I mean, uh, I'm actually not sure what the relationship is between the CSA and the USSF. I mean, um, for all that, that relationship hasn't been as strong as it probably it should be in, in in bringing together games. Um, that really, you know, are more meaningful than just, you know, a one-off friendly um, against, you know, pick your own Central American team. Let's talk TFC. Uh, You mentioned Ryan Nelson and his problems with the CSA. Let's talk about his comments, because I have a list of players that I would like love to to get your thoughts on. Uh, And we'll start off with with Darren O'D. His comment or his quote to you was, um, that was a bad contract, uh, loosely quoted, but basically saying that the, that contract was was not a good um contract to give out from TFC. Is that what yeah. you kind of is that what you want to say to somebody who's walking at the door with a lot of respect within the in the locker room and in the city? Um yes and no. I mean, if you're looking at it from Nelson's point um point of view, you have to say, well, look, we have we have a a fan base that's um extremely upset at the moment, and I think it was just a strategic move on, you know, Kevin Payne and Nelson's part to say this is why 
we can't do the things we want to do at the moment because we have two defenders in uh, Darren O.D. Um, and Richard Eckersley who are on uh, combined a million dollars. I mean, that's 30 percent, something like 30 percent of your salary cap right there between two defenders, one of which was injured most of the season. Yeah. Uh, and the other one, um, you know, quite frankly, some members of the front office didn't think was good enough to play center back in this league, uh, which is why he was moved to left back and Stephen Caldwell was brought in. Um, but at the same time, you know, he is a loyal, uh, uh, he was a loyal member of his club. He was a captain and going in, going uh, to the media and saying that, you know, we have a lot of bad contracts and we're looking to maybe offload some guys probably unsettles the locker room a little bit too much. And we saw what happened in Kansas city when hours before they released their captain and then completely fell apart. And you mentioned about unsettled locker rooms from, from what you were saying, reports coming out and, and when, how they found out what happened, they were unsettled just from the fact that they had no idea what was going on. Yeah, and that actually comes from um, the deal with Luis Silva. Uh, the, the day Luis Silva was traded, um, we, we talked to the players afterwards and we were saying, well, what do you think about uh, you know, Luis being sent to D.C.? And the, the shock on their face was, well, where's he gone? <laughs> I mean, that was like their actual question. They didn't know where he was that day. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a strange issue. It's a, it, there's a communication problem at the club still. Um, maybe that has something to do with the rookie manager. I, I'm not really sure, but it was an odd one and it was an odd day. And uh, there are quite a few stories written on how, you know, Canada or CFC's own players didn't even know uh, their team. They were shipped away that day. Yeah. Um, you know, last thing on the OD thing, if if those if that was the the kind of rumbling from the front office about what what position he could play in MLS, uh, why do you put the captain arms band, armband on him? I think that just that just came from from preseason. Um, when when Nelson and Payne took over, this club was bare bones. I mean, um, believe it or not, the roster in preseason was significantly worse than it is now. I mean, the roster they have now um, has at least competed most of the season, and I think it was just um, a measure that Darren O'D was a leader on this team. Um, you know, he was well liked in the locker room. Um, so he uh, was given the armband, um, and as a center back, he was given the armband. So. I mean, I don't think there was that much bad blood uh, between OD and the front office until really just recently when some kind of talks took place. I mean, before that, um, the club was very, you know, they, they, they loved him. They said the move to left back has, has worked well. And I think something just went down recently where they might have said, um, you know, Darren, we're not going to pick up your, uh, your option next season. Now's your chance to get out. I don't know if you're numb to what's going on, Kurt, but like you say things and I, I'm like flabbergasted. So you said at the beginning of the season that they were bare bones and I look at their roster now and I, I'm, I got a list of names that have, have left the team in the last week and a half and then a, an auxiliary list of people that, you know, you and other people have speculated will be leaving the team in the next couple of weeks. And I think to myself, this isn't bare bones to them. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would challenge you to go back and compare the preseason roster to now. I mean, they do have more talent in. They have guys like Robert Earnshaw in, um, who, who has proven he can score goals in this league. Jeremy Brock, he's in, who's been a handful. Stephen Caldwell is looking like he's going to be a good addition moving forward. Matias Laba, um, for me, has been extremely good since he's come in. Bobby Comey has been a bit of a disappointment. So I think that, I mean, that's just what the the sense of this team is slowly improving um, but they had to make these tough decisions in order to do stuff moving forward. Now then, if, if it's, I, I can't say if they're going to make the right decisions on players or not. Um, they're just making room for these players to come in, and if they get the players wrong, then 
and we're talking about something wholly, uh, you know, entirely different. And maybe we're talking about Nelson and Payne not being here past um, the middle of next year. Well, and that's the scary thing if I'm a TFC fan, because when you and I talked last season, the whole thing was, well, the first time we talked, it was Aaron Winter really wanting to bring his people in and bring his style of play in. And that was in March. And then when we talked in the middle of the season, it was, well, now we got to get Aaron Winter's people out and start bringing uh, those type of people back in. And now it's kind of the same situation where it's, all right, Ryan Nelson and Kevin Payne need to bring their type of people. The roster just keeps getting gutted and gutted and gutted, built up and then gutted all over again. Yeah, but I think you have to do a firm gutting and do the gutting right before you actually replenish it. I mean, what can you do if you have two defenders on a million dollars? Yes. I mean, what, can you, what can you do in this league if you have that? And then you have Kuberman, who's a designated player who's making $1.5 million a year, who's injured with an ACL all season. I mean, how much of, this, how much of the salary cap has been on the treatment table True. You know, over the last year? So, I mean... Like I said, the gutting had to take place. The gutting has taken place with, you know, dumping Luis Silva's salary, dumping OD, dumping Terry Dunfield, getting rid of Danny Califf. Now it's going to be the question is, do they bring the right guys in? Because if they don't and they get that wrong again, um, then we're going to see where we are through the first 10 games of next season. And if it's not looking good, then, then you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Tim Wicke, you know, took a look at what's going on in the front office. Kurt, you said getting rid of Danny Califf. He retired, Kurt. Please, please. <laughs> He, okay, yeah, he, he retired. Uh, he retired, um, but uh, it was also some personal issues going on with him. Um, he was capable of playing, that's uh, everything I know, um, but uh, he wasn't enjoying his time in Toronto. I think he was away from his family, and so they actually agreed just to send him home and part ways. So, was what? it a good selection? Was it a good selection by Kevin Payne in the uh, reentry draft? Absolutely not. Um, but that was a situation with him. Well, let me ask you personally about the player. Uh, is there a situation? Did they try to trade him to to somewhere where he could be accommodated? And and number two, um, I don't know what the the league issue is on retirement and reinstatement. But could you see him playing again at some point in the future? I'm sure he could. I'm not sure he could this year because simply because TFC did get all of that cap relief yeah. back. So that wouldn't make much sense for them to get that cap relief and then for him to come in and play again. Um, they, they did try and move Danny Califf along with Stephen Fry to Philadelphia. And as far as, uh, as far as I know, that, uh, that deal was extremely far along. Um, and actually broke down uh, at the last uh, at the last second because of uh, Philadelphia, who actually then you know continued the trade uh, with Chicago. It was a three way trade that was supposed to happen, um, and it fell apart at the last minute. All right, so uh, we we hit on Od, we hit on Caliph. Let me ask you briefly because I know we touched on on Luis Silva. His form obviously wasn't what it was in year one. In that it was in year one and year two. Um, was it just the the situation? Was it he he claims it was out of being played out of position? Um, do you see a bounce back from Silva as he leaves one club and starts with another club? Well, I mean, I think he's more than capable, and I think he's going to play with maybe some guys that that suit him better in DC. But at the same time, um, you know, it's it's kind of the Mike McGee syndrome. What you know, what what is Louis Silva's position? Yeah. I mean, that's 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 the difficult question. He's an extremely talented player. Um, he's shown he can score. He's shown, you know, glimpses in the midfield. But where does he excel? Does he excel in that gap between a target guy and, and a holding midfielder? Does he excel up top uh, in a four-four-two? Um, I ask you these questions because I actually don't know because he was moved around so much the last two seasons that I don't think anybody actually got a good look at him um, to for, for a string of games um, uh, in any one spot. Um, but you know, the, the ability is there. Uh, a lot of guys like him. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how Ben Olsen uh, uses them and if he can kind of, you know, you know, refine that form that had him, you know, at the top five rookie uh, in his first season. So Kuverman's, Eckersley, 
Fry, which of those three go next? Or does it not matter because they're all going to be gone in the next couple of weeks? Uh, Danny Kuberman's, uh I talked to a front office source, and, and they were interested in actually potentially coming to terms with him for another year if he, of course, signed a non-DP contract. But that was before all these other injuries hurt. Uh, all these other injuries hit. I mean, he's got a calf strain now. He's had a knee, um, you know, another problem with his knee. Uh, and I just can't see them bringing him back almost really at any price because he, he's just turning into um, what most players turn into in old age is very injury prone. Uh, Richard actually has a guaranteed deal through next season. Um, but I think they are going to try and do something with him to make his cap hit a little bit less. I don't know if that is, a, you know, some kind of extension where we'll, we'll sign you for an additional three years at this price. Um, or if maybe they can uh, uh, suggest uh, him moving on like OD. I mean, it would be disappointing because Eckersley is an, uh, an extremely good fullback. But uh, in, in this league, you are judged, um, you know, on your salary, yeah. maybe more than your play at times. So, um, and moving on to Fry, I uh, can't see him here at the end of the year. I mean, they've already tried to move him once. Um, they've, they've tried to move him once this season, and that fell through. I mean, I guess he'll be on through the rest of the season, most likely. Um, but Joe Bendix, the number one moving forward, uh, and at half the price, less than half the price of, of Fry, it's, it's, it's a good decision. Um, Bendix's been really good, and, and, and Fry, for, for how good he's been for the club, I mean, they just can't uh, pay a reserve keeper, you know, $200,000, $250,000 a year. And I know they're not coming out and saying it, but it sounds like everything that's happening, even the guys that are still on big salaries and they're up at the end of the year, this is a situation where whatever moves that could be coming up during this transfer window is obviously going to be applied for the next, for, for 2014 season. Um, they're not really expecting anybody to come in now and make a huge splash, correct? I would I wouldn't say that. I mean, well, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying like a, so you sign a big name, um, that's a big splash. But by the time that guy gets in shape and and up to the speed of the league, we're now in the middle of September, October. The season's over. Oh, what if it's Diego Forlan? Well, <laughs> Kurt, is it Diego Forlan? Because that was going to be my next question. Uh, well, I mean, they are talking to him. I can confirm that. I mean, they're, they're, they've had conversations with him. How deep those conversations are, um, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, he's still playing for his club in Brazil tonight. He's in, he's in the lineup. So, um, But, they, I mean, they are talking to him. They're chasing two big-name DPs. That's been confirmed uh, by Tim Lewicki. Um And then a bunch of other guys uh, from South America, guys, you know, from Matias Laba's neck of the woods, yeah. Margentinos Jr., young guys that can come in who can join the attack. Um, but, I mean, to say that they are looking for a player that can come in and make an immediate impact uh, is, is wrong. I mean, they are doing that. Um, whether they'll land him, uh, it remains to be seen. Anybody else, any other name you could throw out other than Forlan? I got no other names to confirm. This, I mean, the club, for how loose-lipped they are at times, <laughs> this, is, this is one of the things that they are not really sharing other than that. Yes, we have targeted Diego Forlan. We're not telling you anything else. Um, and the CEO, of course, has said that we're going after big names. I'm here. I'm the guy that brought in David Beckham. I'm going to bring in somebody else. They were they were kind of capped out when we last spoke, which was last season. Obviously, they shed a lot of contract since then, picked up a lot of allocation um, through the draft and through other trades. They do have money to bring in who kind of whoever they want, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, at this point, yeah, it's just a matter of getting guys over the line. I mean, they're, they're talking to probably, you know, between five and ten guys right now. But, you know, as always, if you're dealing with South American players, um, these deals can fall through uh, at any time. Are you in Cali right now? What's that? Are you in California right now? I'm not. Oh, come on. They don't let you travel to the, to California? 
Not, uh, well, I was at MLS Cup, um, but uh, <laughs> it's difficult to get a 10.30 start into uh, an Eastern time zone paper. Yeah, I, yeah, and I guess Chivas away isn't one that you can go in and go, hey, guys, this is a sexy matchup. I need to be there for it. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Toronto Sun is one of the leading, the leading papers uh, probably in North America in terms of, of soccer, soccer coverage uh, and sports in general. So, um, you know, we'll travel. If the team gets good, we're traveling. Uh, regional games, of course, I travel. I travel yeah. to the season opener. I travel to Montreal. But, um, you know, we can't. Uh, it's a hard sell to get uh, them to send me to a game against Chivas. Tough, tough stretch for the club. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. They're playing tonight in California versus Chivas USA. They got to come back and play over the weekend in New York, and then they're playing again next week. Uh, is that is the next week away, or are they back home? They are home against Columbus uh, the following Saturday after New York. So, so a, lot, a lot of travel, a lot congested schedule for for TFC coming up. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I mean, it's good they're getting the Canadian players back because for a while they were so bare bones that they had to bring in. Uh, Mark Bloom from the Atlanta Silverbacks on loan. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he gets time Wednesday night. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the big test. Uh, this is, you know, are we going to fold up? Are we going to fold up, call it a season and, and end the season with three losses or three wins? Um, or are we going to have a go about it, uh, return to any kind of respectability uh, and build towards next season? It's an interesting beat, Kurt. I tell you, every time we talk, um, I, I don't know. I, you, you can talk about the losing. You can talk about everything. But, but the, the beat is never boring. And uh, it's great. that you, you got to love it sometimes being on it. Hey, uh, it's great up here. Uh, you know, the managers talk to you. The GMs talk to you. Um, it's just a matter of getting the product right on the field. Um, I mean, it's come nowhere close to where they should be by now seven years in. Kurt Larson, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it always. Yeah, man, no problem. For more show information, go to pitchpass.com.